Thank you for allowing me this opportunity. I have to admit, though, that your pastor scared me a little bit. He said, Brother Vernoy, I'd like to inform you that you've been invited to preach Jamie's Charge. I thought, well, that's great. That's great. He says, yeah, we, I had to ask him the question, uh, who would you like to preach your charge? And Jamie had to pray and fast about it, spend about 30 minutes. And I'm thinking, oh, really? I'm going to kill that kid. <laughs> and then finally he said, no, no. It didn't take any time at all. Just a couple of seconds. So on behalf of my family, I'm glad to be here. It's my first time here to Arizona, and I have already fallen in love with the beauty, the scenery, the hospitality, and the graciousness which many of you folks have showed to us, apart from the pastor that teases me. (laughs) If you would, take your Bibles, please, and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. I'm out of my own pulpit today. I pastor a Spanish church within our American church. I'm the pastor of member care at Community Bible and then also in charge of Hispanic ministries. I will do my best to stay in one language and not switch, but I'm thankful to be here because to preach the ordination is a responsibility that falls upon you folks. You've asked me to actually preach and give the word, the charge that, that Paul gave to Timothy. It's a solemn charge. It's a very important message, a, poor, a message that for the most part, it's going to be directed to Jamie. God, I pray, will speak through me to encourage his heart, but at the same time to work in your hearts as well. Because though there may be pastors that are called to stand behind a pulpit and administrate a church, as your pastor reminded you, we are all ministers of the gospel, charged with taking this gospel message to a world that at times doesn't even realize they need it. But we've learned that important lesson and God's brought us here. So today, as this local church follows the biblical pattern of affirming this young couple, I pray that it'll be the first of many that this church will grow to. It's not the location that we're in. It's not a headquarters that we have to affirm. This is you folks affirming and encouraging this young couple to go out and do the work, which is already being done here, but will be done in other places as well. So let's look at our text that I've chosen for today that comes from the epistle of 2 Timothy, and we'll start in chapter 4, verse number 1. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. It's interesting that as Paul begins his exhortation to Timothy, he actually gives him a command, an imperative command, preach the word. As we end up thinking about that phrase, though, we would obviously begin to make the question of, well, for how long? If my wife knew that when I became ordained and was going into the ministry, that it would be my responsibility to preach the word 24-7, she probably would have said, honey, I don't think we better do this. 
What does actually Paul mean when he says preach the word? And it being a command and in a Greek form that is an imperative, you must do this. It does not mean 24-7. It actually means that you have to be ready to do it, but in the time when God calls you and there's an unction of the Spirit and an opportunity to do so. I'm thankful that I don't have to do this 24-7 to preach the word. Preaching can get exhausting even when you have to do it in another language. Sometimes when you have to do it in front of people that you've never seen before. It's difficult at times. And at times when you have to address an issue that may be difficult to address, makes it even more difficult. But when Scripture gives an imperative command, it's not to be doing it continually from that point to be continually doing it on and on, but it has the idea of be ready to do it. So, Jamie, the time's going to come when you're going to need to preach the word. That particular command in the form that it's given in Greek, I'm thankful that most of you are not here for a Greek lesson because I did not come prepared to give you a Greek lesson. But this particular imperative command in the Greek, though it's important to mention that this is something you need to do, The actual time of that is not given. In fact, in the aorist tense, it means there is no time stipulation mandated. The action is commanded, but how long it's going to endure, we just don't know. Be ready to do it, and as long as you need to do it, but for how long we're going to be doing it, we're just not sure. We leave that in God's hands. But that particular imperative form, Paul used various times throughout Scripture. And as I began to study this, and I began to ask God, father to son, church to a staff person, God, what do you want to teach us today? What do you want us to walk out of those doors with? The imperative command actually appears 14 times in this little epistle. You would think, well, that seems to be normal, only because Paul here in his very last letter that he's writing to Timothy, Paul himself knowing that his life is about to end, you would figure that this last epistle is going to have some very stringent, very pointed, very important commands that he's going to give. Fourteen of them are given. And just within this passage of verse 1 to verse number 5, eight of them are right here in this little context. But there are others that appear in this epistle that, as I began to pray, God showed me that they're just as important as this one that's preached the word, and preached the word culminates it all. So let's take a little journey through the epistle of 2 Timothy to find out what other important commands Paul gave to Timothy on the the eve of him becoming ordained as a pastor and, and, and accepting upon himself the responsibility of what this position and what this way of life is going to mean. If you'll notice with me, in the very first chapters, when Paul talked about preaching the word, there's another command that Paul gave, and it was the idea of be ready to suffer hardship. Pastor already made a mention of this, that being a pastor getting into full-time ministry, starting your own work, is going to be difficult. 
In fact, in my own youth, I remember as a child in Zanesville, Ohio, there was no church there, but my parents were looking for a church, found someone who was interested. We used the YMCA building. Every Sunday we'd go in, set it up, and it's interesting that YMCA was open on Saturday night. We'd have to clean. We'd have to roll out different things that they had used for their dance the night before, and we'd have to set it up, clean it up, get it ready for church. That vibrancy, that energy is felt even here today. You know, what makes this church church is not the building that we're meeting in, not the area in which we're located. It makes, it's it's you, the church. We're here with the music, with the words, to worship the Lord, to hear from his word, and one by one be mutually encouraged and strengthened in his word. Because even in your lives, we all are called to endure hardship. I never thought once we went to Venezuela, God took us there, settled us there. I thought, now we can start building a church. Everything is a bed of roses. Well, God brought us to the point to where, no, we had to endure hardship as well. And Jamie, there's going to be difficult times that you and your wife are going to encounter. There's going to be questions that are going to arise. There's going to be decisions that you're going to have to weigh and solutions that you're going to have to analyze. But there's going to be times where you want to build a church and people will laugh at you. Used to be a time when you'd say, well, I'm a pastor. That meant something. Now, today, unless you say you're a doctor, an engineer, a lawyer, or a CPA, it's almost as though pastor holds no weight. But let me remind you, God has called you to pastor, to be an under-shepherd. And he's called each one of us to be shepherds of those he has given us a responsibility for. So even in your families, without a charge, without a call, in your own families and within this church, we are called to endure hardship. Nobody wants to show up here all the time at 8 o'clock to start setup. I was glad to meet the crew that was here today for setup. Yeah, I was here. So half the time I was walking around, I didn't know what I was doing, but every once in a while they'd point me in the right direction, and we got things done for setup. This is where life is. And it's hard to get things going. Hard to even clean up afterwards so that when, church, when school begins the next day, they don't even know we were here. That's fine. I like the idea of a trailer, a church in a trailer. You can whiz that thing wherever you want to go and set it up and start. That's what God calls us to do. That's what we, we, we are not limited to a building. We're not limited to a frontier and a specific piece of property. No, we can, we can go wherever God wants us to go, wherever there's somebody willing to listen. But be ready to suffer. It's not going to be easy. Not everyone's going to be on your side. Be ready to suffer. The second imperative that Paul gives us too occurs in verse number 14. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Guard. It's an imperative. We don't know how long it's going to last, but do it and keep doing it. Guard the treasure. 
Well, we have to ask the question, well, what treasure really is God talking about here? And what treasure do I have to guard with the help of the Holy Spirit? Well, if you look at the verse before it in verse number 12, Paul actually answers it for us. In verse number 12, he ends up saying, For this reason I also suffer these things. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Paul entrusted to God something very important. His soul. His decision for salvation. God, it's in your hands. You are my Savior. I'm trusting you to save me. Then in verse number 13, Paul continues to say, retain. Now, I thought right there that that retain would be one of these aorist, imperative Greek commands. But it's not an aorist, which means without time. It actually, it's an imperative active, which means you start it, you retain those words, and you keep on doing it, keep on doing it, and don't you ever stop. That's the idea behind it. So Paul in one verse says, we entrust to God something very important, the eternal destiny of our soul. We entrust that to him. But now he's given us a responsibility to the very words that we hold in our hand. It's our responsibility to retain them, to learn about them, to absorb them, to take them in, to follow and to obey them, to keep, to make sure they don't become diluted, deleted, or even distorted by somebody else. Retain those words. And then look at verse number 14 afterwards. Paul then says, Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. We give to God the destiny of our souls. He gives to us the word which we're to guard. And then he ends up saying, With the help of the Holy Spirit, I'm thankful that we would think, well, this word here is the treasure. Not really. When you understand it's more the gospel message that we've been entrusted with. We have to retain it from God's word and the Holy Spirit helps us to understand it and then to clarify it, define it, and explain it well to other people. Because if the gospel message is distorted, our faith is lost. Contend for the faith. Guard through the help of the Holy Spirit the treasure which has been entrusted to you. It's the gospel message. That's what we need to declare. That's what we need to guard. You know, Paul ended up writing one complete epistle. Because there was one group of folks from Jerusalem that wanted to add to the gospel message just one little thing. Circumcision. And Paul ended up saying, you can't. The gospel message in itself is pure. You add one little thing to it, you have destroyed it. The treasure that's been given to you, Jamie, is the gospel. What's the gospel? Paul ended up declaring what the gospel was in 1 Corinthians 15. I declared unto you from the scriptures that Christ was died, buried, and rose again. The death, the burial, and the resurrection 
of Jesus Christ is the gospel. In scripture and in the Greek, it's articular, meaning that I could say, could you give me the the pen, please? She would be thinking automatically, well, what pen is he talking about? The gospel is talking about Jesus' life without sin, his substitutionary death for all of us, and then his resurrection from the grave. I'm so thankful that my salvation does not depend upon me earning it, nor my me keeping it. Because if I could never gain salvation in the first point by my good works, how can I think that I will keep my salvation by my good works afterwards? We can't. Our salvation is purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. His life without sin that he lived for us. His death in our place. Scripture says Christ died for sins. If he lived a sinless and perfect life, then whose sins was he dying for? He was dying for our sins. So he was our substitute. He died in our place. Scripture says the sin, the soul that sins must die. If that is the penalty, the justice that the law deserves, that's where we all end, should end up. We should end up paying for our sin debt by dying. But God loved each one of us enough to where he steps in our place. He pays our death penalty. And because of his innocence, because of his holiness, in the end, he was raised up again. Jesus himself said, no one's taking my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. And if I have power to lay it down, I have power to raise it up again. You see, Christ died for you. And his life now is the life that we need to follow in him. My friends, that gospel message, that's the treasure we need to guard. You know how many other churches are trying to distort that message? Oh, no, faith in Christ is important, but you know you need to do this and this and this and this and this. Most every major religion in the world, that's their story. But the story that this church is founded upon, the story that your church is going to be founded upon, is the gospel. Jesus is the one. Our life is in Him. Our forgiveness is in Him. He now becomes our Lord. He is our Savior. You know, you'll never go to you'll never go to a doctor until you know you can't heal yourself, right? My mom was the best nurse practitioner that ever existed. She had a recipe for every little ailment that you ever had. I question some of those ailments today. I really do. <laughs> But when there was a time when she could not heal me or could not help me, we'd go to the doctor. You know, we need to pray that Tucson recognizes that they need a Savior. Not everyone's going to hear that message. But there's someone out there that's going to realize, I need to hear that because I know I need that. Guard that treasure. Be ready to suffer hardship. I also see a third imperative that Paul gave to Timothy, and it's in chapter 2, verse number 15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Some of your versions actually use the term study. Well, 
our English does not convey <laughs> in as much detail as the Greek the idea of both of these together. Study diligently. The Greek contains it, but our English, we kind of lack. I mean, we tell our kids, okay, have you studied? Oh, yeah. I'm all set. I heard that a lot from Jamie. <laughs> oh, yeah, all set. I studied. I've been there. I got this. <laughs> In the Greek, it means to study, not like, oh, yeah, I got this. Oh, yeah, yeah. I spent five minutes. I'm all set. No, this means to study diligently. You know, when we are handed scripture and we are handed a message that it's our responsibility to present as clear as possible to someone else so that they understand it, there's a lot of responsibility that comes with that. And with the gospel message, God wants us to, in our Christian lives, he wants us to grow. And there's going to be times in our Christian lives where we're going to be laying aside things that for our most part we thought was natural to do or natural to be. But there's that time in that Christian growth where God's going to bring us to Christian maturity. Not to Christian or sinless perfection, but to maturity. So the idea of taking God's word, studying it, understanding it, handling it accurately so that you can end up explaining in a more accurate way the word of truth, that should be our goal. I've got a little verse in Spanish on my, on my desk, which is a combination of 2 Timothy 2.15 and a combination of Acts chapter 26, or Acts chapter 18, verse 26. Now, if you remember in Acts chapter 18, I just love that passage, because... The one that came rolling into town was a very educated, eloquent, powerful speaker that had come from Alexandria, Egypt. And as he was making his way into the Middle East, he's preaching a message that was incomplete. It was not based upon the gospel. It was still based upon John's announcement of Christ coming. So though this man was able to preach powerfully, this is Apollos I'm talking about, Though he was able to preach powerfully, eloquently, had the education to back it up, had the persuasion and the ability to clearly give this message. A couple in the church who were just laymen by the name of Aquila and Priscilla, they recognized that in Apollos' message, there was just a little bit of a tweak that needed to be made. And God used an ordinary trained couple in the church to take this well-trained man aside and more accurately describe the way of the Lord. So from 2 Timothy, we are to study diligently so that we can handle accurately the word of God to explain in a more clear and accurate way God's way. That's what we're here for. I'm so tired of being into churches where all it is is just warm and fuzzy principles. No, no, no. Give me God's word. Give me his principles. And help me to understand them clearly. And then give me the practical avenue of how I can apply those and then begin to see a change in my own life. Jamie, study diligently. Now, is that just a command for him? 
No, for us dads that are even responsible to lead our families, dads, you need to study diligently. Sometimes we may even say in our pews, well, that's, that's the pastor's job. No, dads, it's your job. You need to help lead your families. You need to give them the example. You need to show them that your family runs upon the guidance and the wisdom of God, not just dad's prudence and we're going to do it my way. Boy, there's no amen. <laughs> study diligently. Not just study. Oh, I got that. <laughs> to try to understand what is God teaching me? And what does God want to do in my life? What do I need to change? You know, as this charge is coming out to Jamie, we, we all are beginning to see just how much of a humbling experience this is to have to admit that I don't have a hold on it all. That's a humbling experience. But I'm glad that Scripture gives us simple processes and simple steps that we can follow. It's going to be. It's not going to be easy. Just prepare, prepare, be ready. Guard that treasure that God's given to you. Study diligently so you can present it clearly. And then we finally arrive at chapter 4, verse number 2, where Paul finally says in the same imperative, controlling way, attention, preach the word. Now notice what he says in this verse. Chapter 4, verse number 2, preach the word. Be ready. That's another aorist imperative. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, another aorist imperative. You're going to have to do it. That's probably the most disagreeable part of our responsibilities, pastors. When you have to address people and talk to them about other decisions that were made and things that they've been doing in their lives. We have to reprove at times. That means to show someone his sin and to summon him to repentance. We're to rebuke. It's another aorist imperative. Means to admonish, to warn forcefully and directly. And then we're to exhort, to earnestly support or encourage a response or an action. And all of those things we are to do with patience and instruction. What does that mean, bottom line? Preach the word in love. Sometimes you have to say what you don't want to hear. Sometimes we as people, we have to be confronted with our sin so that we realize where we need to change. If I could take you back just briefly, remember King David? Remember the sin that he committed with Bathsheba? It was over a year that that sin was contained. And those Psalms that David wrote where he talks about my bones ached or my spirit was grieved, it was that year where he was hiding what was done. Not telling anybody, nor was he getting right with God about it. And it was not until Nathan approached him and through a, through a story about being righteous king, how would you judge the situation? Nathan was able to step right in and with the authority that God gave him, he said to King David, you are the man. 
Now, what would have happened if David during that year would have, with what he was feeling, if he would have had, if he would have repented on his own? Would that judgment, that public spectacle of shame that he had to bear the rest of his reign, could that have been avoided? Most certainly. But you know what I learned as a man as we're going through that study? Men, you need to humble yourselves or you will be humbled. We don't want to hear things like that, men or women. We tend to think that our way is the right way. This is how God has impressed me to do it. And I'm going to do it this way. And though we use the cliche of this is how God directed me, probably not. We never even prayed about it. We, we, we get so accustomed to using these cliches. It's almost like, well, I'll pray for you, brother. <laughs> Have you prayed? None of us like rebuke. But you know when we're here? This is where God can reprove us together. This is where God, this is the ambience, this is the the area where God's word and his spirit floats among our presence and he works on our hearts. It's not just the pastor preaching the word, it's where we all grow together because someone pointed out our error. Someone encouraged me about my sin. And we preach the word, we do it in love. That's how God approaches us. Oh, we've, we, we can't live a perfect life even if we tried. Preach the word, Jamie. Don't be afraid to rebuke. Don't be afraid to reprove. But you give that teaching with all long suffering, and you give that teaching with all patience. Quickly as I finish up, there's another imperative that's given right in verse number five. But you, be sober in all things. It's not sober. Now, that's not the imperative that's given here. It's the next phrase that continues on. Be sober in all things. A simple description of that is let your yes be yes and your no be no. Sometimes we can end up hiding comments by jokes that we may end up saying or innuendos that we may give to other people. No, no, no. Be sober. Let your communication be direct. Don't hide things behind a joke. Say it up front, face to face, but do it in love. We want to talk, but we want to get the communication of the other person as well. Be sober in all things. Then he also says in verse number five, he says, endure hardship. That was the very first point we looked at about suffer with him. And it says, do the work of an evangelist. Jamie, this is part of your responsibility that sometimes in our world today, it's, it's sadly neglected by the pastorate. And that's the issue of evangelize intentionally. We've heard the phrase for a long time, lifestyle evangelism. That's great, but there's got to be a time where you come word to word, face to face, and you intentionally evangelize someone. I know the pain you're going through. Or I I don't know the pain you're going through. But I know who came to me and changed my life when I was in pain. And it was Jesus. Do you know what he did for you? 
what he did for me was something I didn't even know about. He left heaven's glory being God, and boy, you just go right into the gospel message. You tell them about Christ. Paul even ended up saying to the people, he says, but we preach Christ crucified. Says in another passage, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Evangelize intentionally. You don't know who it's going to be. Maybe the mechanic, maybe you broken on the side of the road and somebody comes and gives you a hand. Evangelize intentionally. Do the work of an evangelist. And then Paul also finishes out this text when he ends up saying, fulfill your ministry. It means to fully accomplish, fill entirely, achieve completely. Like you've done before, this calling, this opportunity, it's as long as the Lord wants you to do it. And I noticed as well the final imperative that was given here. And I I don't want to skip over it, though the temptation is there. But the seventh one is to make every effort for fellowship and accountability. Paul ends up saying right before he makes his final passage there, he says, make every effort to come to me soon. And then at verse number 11, he says, only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. Boy, in that one phrase, there's a lot written there that if we don't know the history of it, we're going we're gonna to fly right by it. You know who John Mark was? John Mark was one of the young men that Paul, on his first missionary journey, decided to take with him. John Mark, come on, buddy. We're going to have a great time on this missionary journey. And so they took off. You know what happened? was not after the second stop John Mark finally decides, nope, this is not for me. I'm out of here. So later when the second missionary journey was about to begin and Paul was making decision with Silas about who they were going to take, or Barnabas, excuse me, as they were making a decision about who they were going to take, you know what happened? Paul said, no, I don't want John Mark. That boy quit on me. I don't even want to see him. I don't want him on a trip with me. Well, somewhere along that line, from Acts chapter 13 to now in 2 Timothy chapter 4, there was an accountability that took place. There was a time where the Apostle Paul had to recognize, I judged wrong. I I, I didn't think right about John Mark. And what I thought, it was wrong. And Paul had to have a day of reckoning, a moment of forgiveness, a personal encounter, and they got things right. You know why churches at times form? Because splits take place because Congregants do not know how to make things right one with another. I'm glad this church didn't start that way. We have to be willing to make every effort for fellowship and yet also for accountability. And this will reign true, Jamie, in your ministry to come. You know, as we look at these imperatives, we need to suffer hardship, We need to guard the treasure. We need to study diligently. We need to preach the word. And we need to be ready all for the gospel's sake. We need to reprove, rebuke, exhort with all patience and all instruction for growth's sake. And then we also need to evangelize intentionally, fulfill our ministry, and make every effort for fellowship and accountability 
for His glory's sake. All of this is in all of this is entwined together in the phrase that says, "Preach the word."